The first Sunday of Advent kind of sneaks up on us when it's so close to Thanksgiving as it is this year. Advent is that four-Sunday period that we separate out to focus our thoughts, consciously prepare ourselves for the celebration of the coming of Jesus. This year, our Advent theme will tie into the imagery that you just saw on the screen, and, and that is our theme, The Light Has Come. And I'm going to start a series of messages next week that will connect to that theme. But today, I want to build a bridge from our series from Isaiah into the series of Advent as we see that Isaiah gives us a message of hope for the coming Messiah. Here's the key concept for today. The one true Messiah has come. That's what we'll focus on from Isaiah 61. And uh, before we go to that passage, though, let's uh, have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather around our devices to come together even though we are physically apart to nonetheless be connected spiritually with one another and with you and to your word. So now we pray that you be our teacher as we go to the word. We pray you show us the truths you want us to know, to understand, and how you want us to live. Guide us in all of those ways, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah 61, but also find Luke chapter 4. These two passages are connected, and I want to show you that connection this morning. So we'll be in both passages this morning, Isaiah 61 and Luke uh, chapter 4. Isaiah 61, we're going to look at the first three verses. It goes like this. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. Now, in this passage, Isaiah is giving us a description of the Messiah, a job description, or at least a purpose statement, if you will, of who the Messiah will be, what he will do when he arrives. And I don't know about you, but most jobs have some sort of purpose statement or some sort of job description in print. After a while, maybe we kind of forget what those job descriptions look like. Things get added on over time and that kind of thing. But it's important to have a sense of what this job is meant to accomplish uh, when we're taking on a particular role. Tony Campolo was a famous uh, author and speaker. He tells about a time when his wife Peggy was staying home uh, with the kids. Uh, she was full-time at home, and every once in a while as they were out and about, she would be asked, and, and what is it that you do? And here's the way she described her job. I am socializing two homo sapiens into the dominant values of the Judeo-Christian tradition in order that they might be instruments for the transformation of the social order into the kind of eschatological utopia that God willed from the beginning of creation. And then she said, and what do you do? 
Well, hers was a pretty intimidating job description or purpose statement, but in our paragraph, in our, in our passage, we see the description of the Messiah. Now, Messiah means the anointed one, and that's the Hebrew word for the anointed one, and so does Christos in Greek means the anointed one. So whether we're referring to Jesus as the Messiah or as the Christ, we're saying the same thing. We're saying that all the prophecies of the Old Testament that talked about the anointed one who was coming, they pointed to Jesus Christ. Now, technically, anointing is simply pouring or rubbing or smearing something uh, on someone. In other words, a mother could say in the summer, you kids, I want to anoint you with some sunscreen before you go outside. But over the years, the word anointing has taken on a special meaning, a, a symbolic meaning. Uh, to anoint someone in this sense is to consecrate them, to use the oil of anointing to set that person or thing apart for a holy purpose. Now, Isaiah tells us this purpose. This is the job of the anointed one, the Messiah, who will come. And you can summarize it simply as this. The Messiah Messiah will help the helpless. That's his job. He will help the helpless. Those who are in trouble, he will aid. He doesn't ask how they got into trouble. He's about helping. Even if you brought this trouble on yourself, the Messiah is there to help. They may be poor, but good news will come their way. They may be brokenhearted, but they will receive almost medicine-like medicinal care as their hearts will be bound with a bandage. They may be captives or prisoners, and they will be set free. They may be mourning, and they will be comforted. This is the job description, to reverse the wrongs, to heal the hurts, to make right what is wrong. It'd be great to have a job that, where you're really helping people every day, wouldn't it? To have a job where in tangible ways you are assisting people. I imagine that's tremendously fulfilling. Uh, I read a job description recently that fits that bill perfectly. There's a supermarket chain in Great Britain called Tesco, and they have a, a new role, a new job in their stores, and that is a Christmas light untangler. How about that for a job? The candidate who is going to be successful in this job, the ad says, is going to be able to untangle 10 feet of Christmas lights in less than three minutes. And also, they need to be passionate about Christmas. Now, that's kind of just the kind of job we need right now. I know many of you might do some decorating in your homes today, and uh, you'll find that uh, a, a Christmas light untangler would come in very handy passionate about Christmas, but I think the person also needs to be passionate about helping others, and so too the Messiah, but on a whole different level. He's not untangling lights. He's untangling lives, literally helping those who need His help. And the imagery is very striking. Yes, the, image, the imagery has actually couple of levels in which we can think about it. He's going to help the literally poor, but also the poor in spirit that Jesus refers to in the Gospel of Luke. You see, all throughout the Scripture, there is kind of a parallel thought when it talks about the poor. People who are poor, there is an assumption that they recognize their need, and because they recognize their need, they're more open to the help of God and ready to turn to God with open hearts. So poor and poor in spirit go together all throughout Scripture. 
so too the mournful. They're sad, but not sad only because of distressing circumstances, also sad because of their sin, mourning over their sin and the consequences that their sin has brought into their life. And so the, the, those who mourn will be comforted as well, physically and spiritually. These ideas go through, weave through Scripture, but they also show up obviously as Jesus speaks on the Sermon on the Mount. The Messiah will right these kinds of wrongs. And so the desire of the hearts of, of the Jews all throughout Isaiah's period and, all th and even forward into the first century in Jesus' period, the desire was to have the Messiah come. They were praying for it, longing for it, looking for it, that the Messiah might come. I, asked, I, I noticed that as I was studying here, and I asked myself, I wonder how that idea is still uh, percolating through the minds and hearts of our Jewish friends today. Uh, there's a Jewish um, magazine called Moment, and they asked a number of spokespersons and, and professors and various things, to, to, uh, various roles, to answer the question, what does the Messiah mean to you? Um, a number of them responded, but the one that I, I noted is a young lady named uh, Mayim Bielik. Uh, she is a neuroscientist as well as an actress. You may know her from the role she played on the show The Big Bang Theory. But recently she's turned into somewhat of a spokesman for Judaism on the internet. And uh, she wrote a response. What does the Messiah mean to me? Here's her response. The concept of the Messiah is a general notion that are, we, are, we are all partners in making the world better. The Messiah is progress. And that is the theme that was found over and over again in this particular article. The Messiah not so much looked forward to as a person, but as a movement, as an idea. Today, the idea of a personal anointed one who is a God in the flesh coming to us for salvation and hope is not a prominent idea in the Jewish mind. The idea that he already has come in the person of Jesus of Nazareth is non-existent in the Jewish thought except for our messianic brothers and sisters. But make no mistake, the Jewish man named Jesus of Nazareth claimed for himself the role of the Messiah in no uncertain terms. And he stepped into a situation where the thought was there was a person coming who would be the Messiah and he would be on mission from God. And how would he carry out that mission? Well, Isaiah says he's going to preach the message of good news. He's going to proclaim liberty for the captives. And in verse 2, he says, and the year of the Lord's favor. And to the Jewish listener, that would sound like the inauguration of the long ignored and almost forgotten by now tradition of the Jubilee. When debts are canceled, when slaves are free, when things are made right again. And finally, he says, the Messiah will also be the arm of God's judgment on the enemies. Look at verse 2. And he says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. He exacts judgment on behalf of those who mourn and those who are God's people who have been suffering. And so they longed for the coming of the Messiah, a person who would lead them in victory and in freedom. 
And it should be noted that in Jesus' day, both before he was born in Bethlehem and, and after, uh, there were many people who claimed to be Messiah. Uh, some of them are mentioned in Scripture. There's a man named Judas the Galilean who's mentioned in Acts chapter 5. Uh, he was active 10 years prior to Jesus' birth, calling himself the Messiah. And eventually his movement, his followers just kind of petered out. Then there was a man named Theodos who was active in A.D. 45, also mentioned in Acts 5. He claimed that he could part the waters, and obviously he could not, but in trying to do so, many of his followers drowned. There was another uh, claimant to the Messiah role from, uh, from uh, a man unnamed but called the Egyptian Messiah. He's mentioned in Acts chapter 21 when the Roman uh, centurion is trying to uh, pull Paul out of the rioting crowd. He says he thinks that Paul is this man. And this man led a violent insurrection that was crushed, but many of his followers were killed by the Romans, but he fled in, in safety. And so uh, he, he felt maybe his return was inciting a riot. Uh, all kinds of people claim to be the Messiah. None of them were able to do the work that is described here. But in Luke chapter 4, Jesus takes uh, this passage, Isaiah 61, and he pulls it forward and he applies it to himself, claiming in no uncertain terms to be the long-anticipated Messiah. So take your Bibles again and, and let's turn there to Luke chapter 4 and we'll break in on the scene where Jesus does just that. While you're finding it, Jesus has returned to Nazareth. This is his hometown, a town at least where he was raised. And he goes to the synagogue, and we'll break in to the scene in the synagogue in verse 17. You follow along as I read. It says, The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom uh, for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. Now, just for a moment, that was the position of teaching. He didn't go back to his seat uh, in the crowd. He it was in a position of teaching. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Let me set the scene. In every synagogue uh, uh, service, there was a time for Scripture reading. And as Jesus comes back to Nazareth on this day, he's already uh, a person of some notoriety. And so he's asked to be one of the honored readers. You would read and then sit and comment on what you've just read. And Jesus is handed the scroll of the prophets. He reads the passage from Isaiah 61 that we were in a moment ago. And when he sat down, he looked out on the crowd, and I can imagine him looking at the boys that he grew up with, now 30-year-old men, the old men who were peers of his 
stepfather Joseph and, and thinking back possibly to how many other times he came into this exact same synagogue with these exact same people and heard this exact passage read. And when the commenter sat down and, and began to give some comments on the passage, they would talk about their longing for the deliverer, their longing for the Messiah who would come, that he would be the one to lift up those who are oppressed and downtrodden. He will be our liberator, our healer, and we pray for that day. He must have heard it again and again. And Jesus looks into those faces of the people he knew so well, who thought they knew him so well. And he says, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It's outrageous that he would say that. It's mind-blowing. What do you mean by that? You can imagine the hands going up in the crowd. Excuse me, excuse me. This passage has to do with the coming Messiah. Yes, you're right. This passage has to do with the long-anticipated deliverer. Correct. In your hearing today, it is being fulfilled. I am proclaiming it done right here, right now. The revolution starts today. I am the rescuer. I am the deliverer. I am He. I am the Messiah. Unimaginable. Mind-blowing. Now, Luke tells us that he began by saying that. In other words, he doesn't record for us all the words that Jesus said in his commenting on Isaiah 61, but that was his opening statement. Now, look at the reaction at the conclusion of his comments. Verse 22, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? I read some ambiguity in there. It, it seems like they don't quite know what to think about what they've experienced. They were impressed by what he said. Some were pulled toward him because of the wonder of his message. He spoke it with authority and clarity. But he made this claim. You have been waiting for the Messiah and praying, and now it's fulfilled. The sheer marvel of what he's talking about would, would, would cause them to lean in, to listen more. And they're impressed with the gracious way that he said it. He's attractive and tender as he explains the Word of God. But they had a problem. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Don't we know this man already? See, they thought that they knew him. You can almost read their minds. I mean, wait a minute, I remember you. You used to climb up on the olive trees with my kid. I remember you. You went to Hebrew school with my son. I remember you working in the shop with your, with your father, Joseph. And, and they thought, you see, that they already knew him. They thought they had him all figured out. And thinking that they had him all figured out, they missed what was really happening right before them. And there's a sense to which there's a, there's a feeling of disappointment that enters the room between verses 22 and 23 because something changes. The, the atmosphere of the room kind of gets a little hostile, a little disappointed in what they're hearing from their hometown hero. And so what would you do if you were in a room and you, you, what you just said was somehow disappointing your friends and uh, your peers? Wouldn't you try to kind of make amends? Wouldn't you try to make things better, smooth things over, maybe, you know, maybe tell a joke or something like that? That's not what Jesus does at all. Let's read on, verse 23. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we've heard you do in Capernaum. 
I tell you the truth, he continued. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Pause for a moment. That means she's a Gentile. Go on, verse 27. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. Again, a Gentile. What Jesus is doing is instead of smoothing out and covering over some of the disappointment that his people are feeling, he is in a sense pouring gas on an already smoldering fire. He's saying, let me tell you, not only am I the one that you have anticipated, not only am I the fulfillment of the prophecy, I'm the healer, I'm the liberator, but you need to understand that it's not just to the house of Israel that I've been called. I've been called to the whole world. And if you want proof that God always has had the world in view, all you need to do is read your Bibles. All you need to look back and see what the other prophets have done. God directed Elijah and Elisha to Gentiles for their aid and help, just like God is directing me. Jesus is announcing a new thing is happening and, it's, and being announced right here. The Messiah's ministry is not about your nationality. It's about your faith. You've got to get on board because this is happening right now. Their idea was the Messiah would lift them up only. The Messiah would liberate them only. And for others, there would only be punishment. But Jesus does not allow that selfish status quo thinking to continue. He promises that a new day is dawning and a new understanding must come. And their reaction, verse 28, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Why? He was the one in charge the whole time. Jesus was the one orchestrating these circumstances the whole time. But the status quo has been shattered. The hope of the world has been announced in his hometown, and no one is ready to hear it. But that did not deter his mission. The mission of the anointed one will be achieved. And it will be achieved not by gaining fame and fortune to himself, but rather it will be achieved by taking the punishment that we deserve on Himself by being a substitute for us in His suffering. That was always the mission, to help the helpless. And we are all helpless to find forgiveness before God. He's the one who brings the aid and the help and the mercy. In Him we have hope. How opposite that is, taking on punishment that he didn't deserve from, from human royalty. In fact, it's the exact opposite. I remember a film I watched back in 1987, the film of The Last Emperor. I, I have a copy of it in my home. It's a great film. It tells the story of the final ruler, the final emperor before the revolution, revolution in China. Uh, it was the first ever film to be actually filmed inside the Forbidden City. It's a great movie. But the child, the emperor was a child in those days. And he, uh, as a little child, had a thousand servants. He lived in luxury. Everyone was at his command. He had a younger brother. And one scene, the younger brother asks the emperor, what happens when you do wrong? And his answer is, when I do wrong, someone else gets punished. And to make that point, he picks up a jar and he smashes it. 
And a guard takes a servant out of the room and beats the servant in his stead because the anointed one of China must not suffer. But the anointed one of the universe suffered for us. He took our place, our punishment, and out of love, he received what we deserved. He was able to help us in our helplessness. You see, when you, when you turn to hope in the Messiah, what you're really looking for is you're looking for mercy that you can't gain without His aid. You're looking for help for problems that you can't solve without His assistance. And it's the problem of our separation from God. As He helps us, we begin to recognize love and mercy. And it happens as we turn to Him in faith. All of this is for a purpose so that all of us can receive His help. Ephesians 2.8, Ernie quoted it in his video. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. The help that He offers is saved from sin and its consequences and saved to walking with God. And you can know that salvation and mercy and help today. It may be that you're, you're sitting wherever you are watching this broadcast and, and God seems distant and far away from you. It may be that you haven't thought, thought things about the Son of God or things about God much at all, but maybe the Christmas decorations going up has reminded you of the theme of the season of the coming of Christ. But you need to recognize that God loves you right where you are. He knows just where you are. It's the sin in our lives that separates us from Him. But we can be part of what He's doing in the world and know the help of His forgiveness by turning to Him in faith. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When you accept that gift, you start the kind of relationship that is an eternal journey with God. And you receive the help that the Messiah has always wanted to give you. Freedom, forgiveness, and new life. Now, I don't know where you are in terms of your journey with Jesus, but it might be that there's some who are watching this broadcast and are saying, that's just what I need. And if that's you, I want to help you get His help today. And we do that in a prayer of faith. So no matter where you are, uh, no matter where you are with the Lord, would you bow your head in, in, a, in an attitude of prayer? And for just a few people maybe watching this, this is the prayer they need to pray. And if you want to say yes to Jesus and His saving help today, just say this prayer silently where you are. Lord Jesus, I need your help. I need freedom. Freedom from my sinful life. I feel trapped in the way that I'm living. I need promise for hope for the future. And so I ask you, Lord, to forgive me, to wash me clean, to save me, and make me your child. Lord, I don't know how many people prayed that prayer or anything close to it, but I do know that you want us all to come to that place. And so for those who are saying yes to faith for the first time, I pray that you would give them assurance that they might know beyond a shadow of a doubt that spiritually things are changing for them. And for many of us who have already prayed that prayer, Lord, we help us to rejoice in the help that we have in the Messiah. Help us to know that we are truly your children by faith and continue to grow us in this family 
grow us to be more and more like you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you see us, you know us, and you love us. We rejoice in that love. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer to receive Christ with me, I'd like to send you this uh, a booklet. It's about uh, the beginning steps of how to walk with the Lord. If so, if you text the word FAITH to 209-257-8768, uh, I will uh, send a form that you fill out with contact information, and then I'll be able to mail you this booklet entitled, Now What? Living Out Your Christian Faith. That's 209 209- 257-8768. I'd love to be able to send you that, uh, that literature, and I know it will be a blessing to you. Well, as we draw our service to a conclusion, uh, our worship team is back once again uh, to lead us in song. Let's, let's sing together.
So for our benediction today, I'd just like you to hear these words in an attitude of prayer, words from Psalm 145. So let's bow together. The Lord is righteous to all in his ways and loving towards all that he has made. The Lord is near to all who call on him and to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and he saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him. So this week, be assured that the Lord watches over you and the Lord loves you. So thank you for tuning in. Go ahead and write those letters. Hopefully, very soon, we'll be able to meet in person once again. But until that day, we'll see you next week right here on the YouTube channel. And thank you for watching. God bless you.